tonight on This Is Vinyl Tap. Romantic bank tellers. Tornadoes in Laredo. Returning from the Crusades a hero. And a mystery on a rooftop. In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. Well, tonight we've got a album by a band that was really big in the 70s, the Electric Light Orchestra, and we're going to be looking at their 1973 album, El Dorado. This is a concept album. And tonight joining me uh, is Doug Cooper. Really happy to be here with you, JM. He's our host. Our co-host, Tony Slagle. Uh, hello, JM. I think we need to, before we continue, need to talk Mention about why the we fact sound so different tonight. we're all in the same room together for the first time since we've been doing this podcast. And I'm your humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe. And as Tony uh, mentioned <laughs> earlier, I just got more humbled. <laughs> as uh, Tony just mentioned, this is a very special podcast for us for two reasons. First of all, uh, this is the first time we've actually all been able to be in the same room together. Uh, for a podcast. We've been trying to do this for a while, but uh, COVID got in the way, so that's very exciting. It's also uh, apropos that this is a monumental uh, podcast episode for us because it's also what is likely going to be our 5,000th download episode. So it means that uh, by the time you guys hear this, in fact, possibly by the time We've got the counter going right here, JM. Right now, we are at 4,998 downloads since we published on November 6th. So hopefully when Europe wakes up, uh, <laughs> or Japan wakes up later today, well, I guess they're pretty up right now, but they they, it, they normally don't check their uh, podcast feeds. It would take until... all two of our fans in Japan to push <laughs> us over the top. That's right. So as I mentioned, it, it's uh, also... Uh, when a, a, Canada wakes up, all the people that think they're going to hear uh, Randy Bachman will, uh, <laughs> that's right. will get on board, and uh, then we'll really go over. Yep. So we're going to be talking about the album El Dorado by the Electric Light Orchestra. And this one was chosen by our uh, host, Doug Cooper, 
Doug, can you explain to us, maybe give us a little bit of a background about why you decided to choose this particular album? Well, first of all, um, a large number of our fans are from Texas. So right now they're confused because you said El Dorado. (laughs) Um, For all the Texans out there, people in the rest of the world don't say El Dorado. (laughs) They say El Dorado. And we're not talking about a uh, town just west of San Angelo. (laughs) Or a a hybrid car pickup. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's business in the back, party in the front. (laughs) That's right. I picked this album because uh, of the reason I always pick albums, and that is because I have no idea where it came from. It seems like something sprung out of nowhere. Uh, It also fits our format very well because uh, this is not just a concept album. This is a narrative. This is an album about an individual and his struggle. Uh, Jeff Lynn... We're going to keep talking about ELO and Jeff Lynn tonight. And by pretty close to this time, ELO is Jeff Lynn. Yeah. And uh, I the thing the thing about Jeff Lynn that I, I find so interesting is if, if he were anyone else but Jeff Lynn, he would be one of the biggest rock stars in the whole world. But somehow, Jeff Lynn became one of the most accomplished and successful rock and rollers without becoming a star. Yeah. Uh, he's <laughs> a lot of people don't even know who he is, right. but they could probably sing 10 of his songs. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk later about his success as a producer, but uh, to me, this is a magical album. It's, it's entirely new. Uh, I don't, I don't think he did anything else as good as this. He did. Let me, let me rephrase that. He did many things much more polished than this. He did many things as a as a much more accomplished producer and musician than he did on this. But this was out of out of the blue, <laughs> which was a subsequent album, which <laughs> contained probably some of his biggest hits. The Out of the Blue had Sweet Talking Woman. Turn to Stone, which actually became a uh, hit on some sort of was had a, a new life because it was featured in some sort of insurance. Yeah, I yeah, remember it, hearing that on the radio. Oh yeah, it was. And then the, the one that's weird is, um, Mr. Blue Sky. Yeah, which is now when people see Jeff Lynne, they call him Mr. Blue Sky. Well, there's a documentary about ELO and him named Mr. Blue Sky. Can you figure out where to watch it? Because I can't. Yeah, you can watch it on, uh, I think it's on Amazon. 
I couldn't get I, it. I uh, I really like that song a lot, yeah. which is which is funny because when we talked about doing this album, considering that ELO is considered kind of a forebearer of power pop. Uh, I think Doug was a little surprised to find out I'm not the biggest ELO fan on the planet. Well, I kind of sympathize with you there a little bit, Tony, because I, even when I was a kid, I had a difficult time getting through a whole ELO album. Now, this one, I I knew about this album. I think I have listened to this album in its entirety before, but I had not really like giving it a second thought until we decided we wanted to to do this podcast on it. And um, this is probably the only ELO album I can get through, you know, start to finish and actually look forward to whatever the next song is going to be uh, with some exceptions, but I don't really dislike the album I- as a whole. I listened to a lot of ELO in preparation for this, not just this album. I listened to a lot of ELO. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can honestly say there's not a single ELO album where there's not some point in it where I'm rolling my eyes. <laughs> um, I, I, I find I find it very pretentious. I find really? it, Oh, yeah. I find it soulless to a certain extent. And, and something – I think this is a, a, maybe a good time to talk about this before we get into the history of the band – uh, Jan, when you and I first started talking about music, you said something pretty remarkable about the Beatles, if you mind re- repeating that for the <laughs> podcast audience, because it's remarkable. Okay, so my, yes, what I said was, I believe that the Beatles destroyed rock and roll. Now, I, you got to take that with a grain of salt, because I think what happened when the Beatles decided to start taking music uh, more seriously, trying to turn it into a more serious direction a lot of people tried copying the beatles and trying to do the studio wizardry trying to do the unusual chord progressions and a lot of times it just fell flat so with that in mind mr jam how do you feel about this band because they obviously did that i mean they're on record as saying uh, why they picked why they picked uh, the album they pick, you know, whenever they talk, if you read interviews or see interviews with them, they say they wanted to con- con- take off where the Beatles left off. And the album they pick is the magical mystery tour, which it just scr- is a head scratcher to me. Why that's the album they always throw out. And they talk about, I am the walrus as well. Again, very strange. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that that song particular or the album, although it's not, in my opinion, one of the stronger Beatles things ever. But no. I'm just curious if if the Beatles, uh, what was the word you used? Destroyed? Destroyed. Destroyed rock, rock, and roll. rock and roll. I can't imagine ELO coming on the ashes of that. <laughs> you, I, it's odd if you would have a different opinion of them. So I don't listen to ELO the same way that I listen to like Rod Stewart or The Replacements or one of your favorite bands, The Rolling Stones. I don't get up and dance when I'm listening to ELO. I'm usually just sitting in a, uh, you know, wanting to have my headphones on and listening to some cool arrangements 
hearing some chord progressions I, I don't normally hear. Um, but it's it's not it's it's not something that just uh, hey I want to get in the car and drive around. It's not something I listen to before I would go on a date. It's not something that I would <laughs> listen to. Before. You would go on a date. I mean that, that's that's a weird like checklist. Isn't it, I don't. I can't think of the last time I was considering what to listen to before I. <laughs> well, I've got a I've got a question for you too, Doug. Um, just because you're you're the big ELO fan here, so we talk a lot or we have talked a lot about on this podcast about things sort of being mislabeled or having a, a, a people having a misunderstanding about stuff. So I don't think any of us would disagree that ELO is what you would call Beatlesque. I mean, there's Beatlesque elements of this and they, they freely admit that it's odd to me how many people call them a prog rock band. And in particular, this was listed as in Rolling Stone as one of the top 50 prog progressive rock bands ever. Uh, and it's not just them. It's listed several places as a uh, as one of the greatest. Some people call it the first or the birth of prog rock. Well, that's not true. But <laughs> can't be true because it's too late. But yeah. um, or they said they set the pattern for the next 15 years. But... Uh, I'll go back to what I said before on some other podcast. I, all of those terms make my head explode. I think that I think they are not descriptive. Um, I guess on its simplest terms, prog rock is uh, more confusing. It's it's more developed. It's it's well, uh, and that's this is that, but. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't feel confident using any of those terms because they, they yeah. seem so. Uh, I, I, one of the things I'll capricious. also say is that there are albums where I think the album before this, there was like six songs on the whole album. And then they did. They do kind of have the songs that run into each other. But most of but their that, songs are only like three, four minutes. They're long. pop songs. Yeah, they're, they're pop, pop they're songs they're pop with songs. orchestration to them. Yeah. I mean, now, I don't. There's, I, I'll tell you something about Jeff Lynn. Uh, number one, he says pop music is the greatest music in the world. Yeah. Number two, people don't pick Jeff Lynn to produce their albums because they want to be more complex. <laughs> no, I'm with they you. Produce, on that. They produce. Yeah. They pick him because they know if he touches I, it, it's a hit. I, I think. I think for that, whatever reason. I think yeah. that's worth talking about too. Just really quickly, uh, we've we talked about Daniel Lenoir earlier about having a sound. A producer has a yeah. definite sound, and I think Jeff Lynn falls into that camp too. No Jeff Lynn has, a, no has a particular sound. It's not a sound I'm very fond of, to be honest with you. He, it's. Uh, I would it's be so w- weird because in my mind, you love pop music. I do, and you love hooks. And he brings so, those out so much. I think it's so bizarre that <laughs> this is exactly that. And I, that you have I, I know. With. I feel like he. I feel now like you, he. You like the traveling Wilburys. Right? I do. I do, and I like Cloud Nine, that Harrison album he produced. Yeah. I like yeah. some of his stuff, but particularly with ELO, I feel like he uh, he buries. The drums are buried to me in the mix. He, it's, there's, it's, there's it's, no like, it's like yeah. he embraces this Phil Spector wall of well, sound no, and then does, does it he ten does. times yeah. as much. Uh, you want yeah. evidence of that? All you need to do is look at what he did with the Traveling Wilbur. I'm so tired of being lonely. I still have some love to give. Won't you show 
got five guitar players yeah. Yeah. in that band. So what does he do when he's producing that record? He stacks guitars. Yeah. He stacks five guitars on top of five guitars and makes <laughs> well, ten guitars. I, that's that's here, his deal. And he here, does it with his voice. And when George Harrison died and left him in charge of producing, well, he didn't though. His son, his, did, son, his son, asked him to do it. Harrison actually is on record saying he didn't want Jeff well, Lynne to produce that but, album because he didn't want it to sound like an ELO album. He's he, on the record as saying that, and he's on the record as saying, and this is from Danny himself. Danny said that his dad told told Jeff Lynne, "Don't overdo it." Yeah, because <laughs> he said. Don't do too much. Well, and, I, and yeah. anybody that would argue that he doesn't do that um, yeah. would be anyone who would argue that would be willing to argue that Jeff Steinman doesn't have over the top lyrics. Or Jim Steinman, you mean? Yeah, Jim. I don't yeah. know who Jeff Steinman is. We'll do him <laughs> next week. But Jim Steinman is, and uh, what I think where we're going to disagree on on that is. Um, I agree that it's over the top. You think it's over the top. You think it's too full. I think you it's like full as hell. And yeah. I think this is um, working, and you think it's not working. Yeah, and, and I will just take one thing as an example for that, and that's if you listen to the Moose version of Do Ya versus ELO's version of it. version i like a hundred times i'm gonna give better. you that i do i do hundred like, times better I can't, than the ELO's I version it's not that i can't stand the the elo version but i do like the move version it's just a little bit more grindy it's got bit. guitars in it it's yeah. not buried yeah. in a bunch of orchestration and yeah. and, I, and, and i'll say this as well and, and, effects, this, yeah. and i really don't want to dogpile on jeff lynn because i do recognize what he brings to the table i do recognize that he writes some pretty great pop songs. I don't like that he buries them in what he and buries them under a bunch of stuff because it sounds soulless to me. It doesn't have much of a much of a you know any depth to it. I I don't like. I, I have a real issue, and you're probably going to hate this too with uh, the Where what did he I does hate already. What he does with <laughs> vocal harmonies. You really you don't yeah. like. The, I nope. love his vocal harmonies. Nope. I, I don't think, think Jeff Lynne has a very well, good voice. I think I think, I, think I understand uh, absolutely. What Tony's talking about. I remember always wishing that I'm I, I remembering like eighth grade, I heard the term overproduced. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. all I would do is walk around and go, oh, that's overproduced. Oh, that's overproduced. Oh, that's overproduced. Anytime I heard a violin or a string section, oh, that's overproduced. And I thought I was so, um, I don't know, with it or deep or something. But, um, I remember hearing ELO, especially um, I, I fell in love with uh, Out of the Blue. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, oh, I wish he would just strip this down a little bit. Gosh, it's too clutter. It's too much strings. I know he's got a little gimmick here with the strings, but enough. All right. Right. You, you've got a career. Everybody knows who you are. Quit right. pushing the orchestra stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember feeling that heavily. And... Uh, the only thing I can say is um, I loosened up on that, and I realized this is 
him doing something new. And these trappings that I think don't just irritate you. I think they irritate a lot of people. And somebody said that um, to like ELO is to be super uncool. And I think the thing that's super uncool about it is all these strings, choirs, and stacked eh. vocals. It's not cool. But that's Especially, that's never that's never been my issue. I listen no, no, to I'm tons not of uncool you, music. But I'm, I, I don't think you give a damn about what's cool. You brought up the uh, Go-Go's in this podcast. <laughs> so um, the thing, Rock and Roll Hall of Famers, the Go-Go's, by the way. <laughs> I think there is something about the ELO sound that is very off-putting. Oh, it's off-putting to me, and, definitely. Um, it's been off-putting to me, and it and has been off-putting to me. I mean, I remember just like... At one point, just going, well, the only thing I like about ELO they've ever done was uh, the third side of Out of the Blue. With the, the, with the storm? The yeah, storm with the big side. storm and all that sort of And Jeff Lynn does have some sort of affinity for the songs about rain. And yeah. One of the albums I used to listen to in, in the early 80s was Time. I, I like that album. That's a pretty good album. It's a little bit. Um, there's some a uh, little oversynthesized, I guess, in, in some places. But well, every everything that happened in pop music, Jeff Lynn went too far in that direction. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say, including that. disco, <laughs> including disco, not, not yes. including disco. Especially disco, <laughs> yeah. but I tell you what, um, the guy jumped into that deal and he controlled it. Yeah, um, he was a master of it. I don't like that sound, and I know I'm supposed to be man. This is ruining rock and roll. Put on the Ramones, but agree. He mastered. <laughs> he mastered <laughs> he that sound. Master that. Yeah, I mean that Xanadu album is. Well, it's not just a Xanadu album. Was well, Discovery's the Discovery's the, big, the Discovery's one that came. The line, yeah. I guess you had to wait. You see, I've got to make you understand. I know it sounds a foolish thing to say, but it don't matter, baby, because the day's another day. Yeah. You know what? I Real quick, because uh, I heard this and I was really surprised by it. I think ELO holds the record for having the most top 10 singles without, without a, a number, number one. one. That's like right. 12, 20 or something like that. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think Roy Wood has two number one hits in England, which I, th- I thought was really... Well, The Move definitely has a number one hit, and we'll get to them in a I, minute. I thought here, that was uh, pretty funny. I will say, I will say, yes, I, I do want to bring up a bit of the contradiction. You, you seemed, uh, you seemed <laughs> appalled by uh, Blondie's embracing of a certain uh, type, of, type of music. Um and I mean, they dabbled. They dabbled in everything, including disco. But as you said, Jeff Lynne d- dove in head first and just swam in those waters for a while. Yeah. I mean, the guy wrote the second side to a soundtrack album about a magical roller disco. <laughs> so, um, and you know, I think it's almost impossible to think that he knew what the hell he was talking about. <laughs> but anyway. 
There's there's something I'm going to I'm going to make a confession tonight, okay. and that is you love Olivia Newton-John and Zayn. I do find certain things about Olivia <laughs> Newton-John interesting, Here especially <laughs> when she turned bad at the end of Grease and she's stomping on a cigarette <laughs> and she stopped being the sweet one. Jeez. And uh, I just want to say that I think it showed a greater depth of her character and it's nothing physical whatsoever. Um, but if we could disregard the oblivious neutron bomb for just a minute and talk about... <laughs> If somebody offered me the kind of money he was going to make for Xanadu, I'm going to say right now, yes, I would use my talents to yeah. create Xanadu. Yeah. And it's not a it's not a horrible when I was 16, soundtrack. I wouldn't have. It's not a horrible soundtrack. I mean, I, There's I got well, songs on there. there uh, that goes yeah. back to uh, just case in point. One of my favorite, one of my musical heroes is, is Buck Owens. Yeah. Buck Owens believes that that Hee Haw ruined his mystique, like it ruined his career, and he's yeah. been asked. He's even said, "Would I do it again?" Again, in a heartbeat, because he made so much dough off of that. Yeah. Well, you know, and I understand that, but yeah. um, Buck, ladies and gentlemen, Buck Owens doesn't need to apologize to anyone. He was fantastic, <laughs> and I don't care what show he was on. I don't care if he was on the uh, Three's Company. <laughs> was he on Three's Company? No, but that's the worst watch show I could think was. of. Uh, um, the, anyway, uh, I, 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 there's two things. One thing that Blondie and ELO have in common. Not very much, but just one thing. They have guys they with both, odd hairdos in the band. Well, that's every. Um, <laughs> have we talked about anyone that doesn't have that? Um, they, uh, they both went into disco and did a good job. They kicked ass. No, yeah. that's true. You're right. I mean, they did take that. They did take that. Uh, and when we're talking about disco, we're talking about two four beat, and yeah, yeah. there's something innately cheesy about it, especially if you're our age, and you just remember it taking over your radio station and destroying everything. Yeah, and just getting so tired of hearing that same. Oh, great! The but, same I damn mean, beat. Jackson Brown did disco. Uh, well, the, the Stones, Stones did it. Did it. The Bowie did it. Bowie did it. I yeah. mean, they all they all dabbled in that. Yep. Yeah, and. King we, Crimson didn't. That, that's Rush didn't. <laughs> Rush would have complicated it beyond recognition. <laughs> Tony, why don't you give us a little bit of history about uh, where ELO came from and uh, the, the direction they were going before they made this album? Okay, well, you can't really talk about ELO without talking about The Move, which mm-hmm. was a huge band in the UK in the in the 60s and didn't do much of anything in the US for some reason. And um, if there is someone who can talk about ELO without talking about The Move, his name's not Tony. That's right. <laughs> I, I will I will freely admit that I'm a big fan of The Move, so um, bear with me while I talk about them a bit. Um so they're a band out of Birmingham. Uh, we've talked about another band out of Birmingham earlier, the Moody Blues. Um, Roy Wood, who we will talk about a lot um, about the early formation of ELO. Before we get into that, he was the guitarist and one of the singers for the Move. Uh, the Move was also this guy named Carl Wayne, Trevor Burton, Chris Ace Kefford, and a drummer by the name of Bev Bevan. 
uh, it's interesting. He got the job after they asked uh, a guy who was playing in a band with Ace Kefford's uncle named John Bonham to join the move, and John Bonham turned him down, which is pretty interesting. <laughs> Did yeah. he ever find anything? I, I don't know. Did Bonham ever find uh, Bonzo? I think he was the drummer for Zeppelin. I but. think, yeah, well, I think, yeah, and he also played with Donovan. <laughs> That's his claim to fame, the drummer for Donovan. That's his claim to fame. He anyway, uh, what's interesting about the move is legend has it that uh, Trevor Burton and Ace Kefford, um, who were in different bur- bands at the time that they were thinking about this, uh, went to see a band called Davy Jones in the Lower Third. Do you guys know who that was? That sounds like uh, Ziggy. It's David Bowie. Uh, oh, wow. And they, they talked. He was in playing in this club in Birmingham, and, the, and he talked them into joining, into quitting their bands and starting something different. So uh, the legend is D- David Bowie convinced <laughs> these two guys to get the move going. Um, All these things end up overlapping. They All do. They really they do. Really oh, strange. Gosh. It's like a small, small world. And and what what the move was set out to do was to basically be a, a Birmingham version of the Who. Yeah. Um, and and there's a you can hear a lot of that in the early singles and the early stuff they did. Um, the uh, what was interesting is prior to the move, Roy Wood was in a band called Mike Sheridan and the Night Riders, and. Uh, after Roy Wood left to form the move, Mike Sheridan left the band, and the band dropped the Mike Sheridan name and just became the Knight Riders. And shortly after that, a guy by the name of Jeff Lynn joined the Knight Riders. So they were actually in the same band prior to being in the same band together early on. Um, the Knight Riders only recorded or had one single with uh, with Jeff Lynn on lead guitar. <laughs> You know, but after that, uh, Jeff Lynn ended up taking over the Night Riders, and uh, and they became a band called the Idol Race. And Jeff Lynn became the main songwriter and the the lead singer of the Idol Race. And for those of you who've never listened to the Idol Race, um, I know I've I've talked a little bit about Jeff Lynn's voice and whatever, but that band is hits me right where it where it counts. I I, I dig them a lot. Wait, so you like Jeff Lynn's voice on that? On that stuff, I do, yeah. Because yeah. there's only one Jeff Lynn voice? Maybe. That might be it. <laughs> um, and it's not as whiny as it appears to be later <laughs> on, where he's trying to emulate Lennon. Mm. But um, but I really like that Idol Race stuff a lot. Uh, yeah. So what's funny is, for the probably the lo- later, or most part of the latter 60s, the, the move were, they were easily the most successful band out of Birmingham, and one of the biggest bands in the UK. Um, they... Uh, they racked up 10 top 40 singles, seven top 10 singles, and one number one single called Blackberry Way. Thing about Bla- like Blue Jay Way by the the Beatles. Well, it's actually was inspired by Penny Lane. So <laughs> same was, album, yeah. yeah. So uh, what's 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 funny about that was Roy Wood, while he was recording the demo to uh, Blackberry Way, he did it at Jefflin's house. Is that right? Yeah, they were friends, so they hung out yeah. together. Um, and uh, and the person who plays keyboards on the single version of Blackberry Way is a guy by the name of Richard Tandy. Well, yeah, there he who is. Was, Later, yeah. keyboardist for well, Ranger. 
one of one of the one of the interesting yeah. things about the move is they have a bit of a infamous streak to them. So they're they're single flowers in the rain. Do you guys know that song at all? Woke up one morning half asleep with all my blankets in a heap and yellow roses scattered all around. The time was still approaching for I couldn't stand it anymore. So Mary goes upon my eye to die. So it reached number two in the UK. It was the very first song. Uh, featured on BBC One Radio. When BBC One Radio launched, it was the first pop song played in its entirety on there. Um, the It was the last song to feature Carl Wayne on lead vocals before Roy, Roy Wood took over. Um, and uh, what's interesting about it was their manager at the time, this guy named Tony Secunda, who also managed the Moody Blues at one point, he was a bit of a rabble rouser. What he did was he um, got them to release a promotional postcard for this <laughs> that had a naked uh, caricature of the prime minister of the UK on it. The P- See, I would think that would be something a lot of people wouldn't want to look at. Yeah. And it also it also um, featured the prime minister's secretary at the time and inferred that they were messing about with each other. Well, there you are. And uh, the prime minister sued the move. And the prime minister won. And yeah. here's what's interesting about that. The judge ruled that every bit of royalties the move made off of that album were to be given to the prime minister's charity of choice in perpetuity. Yeah. And to this day. To this day, it's to still doing day, it. I right. think they've lost hundreds of thousands of pounds on that particular song. Well, and here's what's kind of another interesting thing. Talk about all the crossover. So the B side of that single was a song called Here We Go Around the Lemon Tree, which the Idol Race recorded they did a cover of it and it's a good version of it not as good as the moves version but it's a good version of it yeah um so the move um trevor burton ends up leaving the band shortly after that um okay he had some argument supposedly with bev bevan on this on stage um and he also had been hanging out with traffic and he said after hanging out with those guys i couldn't go back to singing songs like you know yeah, you know, Blackberry Ware or whatever these pop songs. I had to do something much more deep, mm-hmm. <laughs> which so, probably means with a lot more uh, drug influence. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then Carl Wayne left, and Roy Wood ends up becoming the main singer of of um, of the, the band yeah. of, of the move. Um, and and Roy asks Roy Wood asks Jeff Lynne to join the band. The first time he asked him, Roy Woods, I mean Jeff Lynne says no. Because yeah. he's having a, he's having the, the idle race is a going concern and he wants to focus on that. The second time he asks him, I think he dangles the ELO carrot in front of him and says, I've got this idea. I think we could do it. I think you'd be great at it. And so Jeff Lynn agrees. Um, and this was an idea that, that, uh, Roy Wood had been thinking about for a pretty long time. This idea of incorporating classical music. Uh, with rock music and not just incorporating it like the Moody Blues did, but actually having those instruments play the parts that rock musicians would play. So instead of a guitar solo, you'd have yeah. cello solo or whatever, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of, and, and they have said, as I said earlier, that they were trying to expand or, or go take where the Beatles were on. I, I'm walrus and move that into something else. We've talked about this before, Doug, you had said that, um, at this time is when pop music started getting serious, right? People started talking about that. And that's what Roy Wood thought. He thought if we introduced all this classical elements would be, I mean, people are taking this music much more seriously than they are now. So maybe we can do something with it. Yeah. Um, and, 
again, um, this isn't the, I mean, they weren't the first band to do it. The Moody Blues did it. The Beatles yeah. did it. Um, not to the extent that, that ELO or the move did, but, um, that's what it was, but they, they were still contractually required to do a couple of move albums. So they're working right. on their last move album and they were yeah. recording. They're actually recording, uh, 10, five, three, eight overture. Yeah. And, and it was going to be a move song. And the rest of the guys left the studio, and it was just Jeff Lynne and Roy Wood in the studio. And yeah. Roy Wood had bought this Chinese cello, I think. Yeah, he said it sounded different than sounded, a normal so, cello. Yeah, like a normal. I never understood what the hell's a Chinese. Cello. I don't know. Uh, but he started playing Hendrix licks on it, and then he started just playing along with the song. And mm-hmm. Jeff Lynne thought it was cool, and then they ended up overdubbing fifteen of those onto the song, and thought yeah. this is probably more of something for our ELO side project than it yeah. is for the move. Yeah. So anyway, that's kind of what got all that started. And then they ended up, uh, they recorded two more move albums and then they, they, it was no longer really a creative going concern. And so they, uh, they ditched a very successful band in the move and started another venture with ELO. Yeah. And I guess the guys that came over with Bev Bevan, a drummer in Denny Lane's first band, who was actually the original uh, member, one of the original members of the Moody Blues. He's saying go now. He's saying go now, which is a fantastic rendition of that song. Yep. But yeah, he's a fantastic drummer. Um, and he was, when ELO first started, he was sort of the spokesman. Have you, have you ever watched like early? Yeah, he did a lot of interviews. He did a lot of the interviews yeah. and he did a lot of the band introductions and he's stuff still, on stage. He still seems to be the historian of the band. Like yeah. When people want to interview and find out stuff about ELO, you, uh, it's typically Bev Bevan doing the interviews. Because um, you can see his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Um, anyway, so these guys get together and they start recording this album, this ELO album, the first one called in the UK called ELO, in the US called no answer. Do you guys know why it's called No Answer? You want to tell us why it's called No Answer, Doug? It's pretty funny. Boy, the secretary was trying. The secretary was calling to find out what the name of the album was, and uh, <laughs> nobody would pick up the phone, so she just wrote down No Answer. Right. And the executive. So, whoa. Good title. Yeah, the executive <laughs> thought that was the name of the LP, so they called it that. Um, you know, not I again, not something I would pick out and listen to, but that the uh ten five thirty eight overture is a great song. Yeah, it's a great song. It's a great song. <laughs> I free I will I will freely admit it's a great song. Yeah. Have you guys ever seen the video of them performing it live where Jeff Lynn's got a patch on his eye and he's doing a little pirate jig. I have and seen Roy that, Wood's yes. hair is bleach bond and there's a guy in a monkey out, or a pig outfit playing the cello behind yeah. him. I mean it's the craziest thing the you've craziest ever seen. Damn. So I think that that's one of the reasons why I think Jeff Lynn was much better to kind of take over this band because I think that the proclivities that Roy Wood had might not have, even the songs are great, but the way that he wanted to take the band was in a very different direction. I mean, even if you saw what he did afterwards with wizard, with wizard and the Wizzo Wizzo band, I think, uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think Jeff 
or I'm sorry, Roy Wood left ELO after their first album. And I think it was, I mean, people talk up, there's all sorts of stories, but I think deep down inside, he was just bored with it. Well, I, I, think I haven't heard anything about those two being upset with each other. No, they've well, never they, been upset. With they each were other. upset with each other from, from a, a short period because Roy Wood took half the band with him when he went to form wizard and, That's true. and Bev Bevan yeah. and Jeff Lynn were like, what are you doing? Yeah. So there was a bit of there was a bit of consternation about that, but yeah, they've been buddies for a long time. And uh, I mean, he was on the when you look at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when they get inducted, yeah. it's it's uh, it doesn't look like. Of course, it's Roy Jeff Wood Lynn is Jeff upset Lynn. or happy or um, you can't tired. Tell. You can't tell because of those glasses. <laughs> you ought to be on one of those poker shows I, on ESPN I, when I, there's I, no sports on. I do think it's fair though to have Roy Wood. At be inducted because there wouldn't be ELO without Roy no, Wood. There, there would not be. I mean, Jeff, it's look, it's Jeff Lynn's band. I'm not going to argue that. Jeff Lynn, it, no, he is ELO, but you it, can't ignore the uh, fertilizer that got it growing. Yeah. Um, so then they, yeah. you know, they record what was their second album, ELO 2? Real, that's oh. what it was in US, I believe. But this is one thing that bothers me about this band. When they take like the, the single, kind of the single off of that or the hit off of that was their version of Rollover Beethoven. Right, or they clap like they put on this goofy orchestral version of Beethoven's. What is it? His eighth symphony or no, whatever. It opens with the fifth. The fifth, yeah. The fifth. First and and it's and then it goes straight into what I find a very generic version of <laughs> Beethoven, and it just that I don't know why they try to. I, I, do- I think, but there's there's something that always bothers me about Jeff Lynne. I think he and I think he wants to be considered a great rock and roller. Well, I think he's in love with that period of music. Well, I think he is too, but I don't think that but here's the distinction. He doesn't bring anything interesting to that. Right. No. In right. fact, and he we're makes. We're going to talk about that tonight. He with strips it. And oh, yeah. Minor. I think he strips it from that. Unlike Roy Wood, who I think really also was in love in that stuff. And if you listen to Wizard, which is basically a glam rock version of 50s rock and roll, he brings it when he. I mean, that yeah. band brought it. I do think we hit agreement on whenever Jeff Lynn goes to the 50s and it's he bad. loves the 50s. It's, it's not good. It's not good. I mean, it if you listen good. to him talk about Roy Oberson, he just can't stop. But whenever he goes there yeah, it's and just, then gets the cellos with him, it it yeah. doesn't work. No, it's, you don't bring Chuck Berry. Does and not having said that, bring, he had a, a hit with uh, Roll Over Beethoven. I don't understand. He did. That, and I, that was the first yellow you know, song it, I ever heard. And um, I didn't it. like it then. I you know what like it sounds it like to me? It sounds like it sounds like uh, spinal Tap. Yeah, <laughs> Spinal Tap came up with the worst thing, like the stupidest thing they yeah. come up with. Uh, yeah. Let's, uh, I got an idea. Let's get it. We'll do Just an the, old uh, rock and roll uh, review, and we'll add orchestration to it. Yeah. And then there, there. What was their third album called? It was third, the third day. Yeah. Was that it? The third day. Um. Again, this is my. I think my issue with ELO, if I could put it in a nutshell, before we talk about the album we're talking about, um, is they. There's a great pop sensibility there buried in this desire to be grandiose. And that is what bothers me about it. It's it's like they fight against that. And in my opinion, they lose a lot of time. I agree with um, what Tony feels when he hears it. I disagree that with the motive he mentioned. I don't think it's a desire to be grandiose. I think it is... Um, 
what a guy who is fascinated with recording techniques. If you ever hear him talk about his first uh, recorder where he could multi-track stuff, he yeah. can't stop talking about it. How cool it, it, is, was, yeah. it was like his first girlfriend or something. He was just amazed with multi-track recording. And I think yeah. it's not a desire to be grandiose. It is a desire to say, what about this? What about this? Uh, what you about might be right. That? I could see I, could I see think that. He's a, yeah. I think I, he's a... Uh, a uh, tink. What do they call those guys that fix stuff? Tinkers. Tinkers. Yeah. <laughs> I I think he can't resist. Well, yeah. you could be right about that. I mean, I could see that. But I, I, all I can say is that I'm happy that Badfinger was around, and that the Raspberries were around, <laughs> and the Big Star was around because I wouldn't have Power Pop the way I like it if it hadn't been for those bands. What yeah, I would have all cello is, music. Oh my lord! Yeah. And I would I wouldn't I wouldn't love it the way I do. So. I'm just glad those guys were around to save it from from his uh, grandiose tinkering, well, as you put it. I think there's at least uh, three people who've made it to this portion of the podcast. Um, <laughs> it's almost midnight. Why don't we go ahead and talk about... Um, yeah, I think, I we think we're dragging it out because we're hoping we'll hit 5,000. I think the- we're dragging it out because I don't want to talk about the album. <laughs> <laughs> the first song is the Eldorado Overture. And Which is an instrumental. I, I have to, um, I'm going to do full disclosure here. Uh, this is very similar to our podcast on the Moody Blues in that I have almost the same exact emotions that I had when we were doing uh, Days of Future Past. Number one, the same man that got me into the Moody Blues got me into ELO at a very young age when, uh, I guess, uh, open to all kinds of things. Um, Evidently. <laughs> and um, the, they're both very similar albums. If Jeff Lynn told me that uh, Days of Future Past didn't influence this album at all, I would not believe him for a second. Uh, there's a lot that are the spoken word at the beginning, the overture, the spoken word at the <laughs> end. All of that is very similar. Yeah, pretty moody blues there. I find this opening as pretentious as it could possibly be. And I don't feel that way about Days of Future Past. I don't know I why. I think you said you thought that was pretentious. <laughs> okay, the, well, the then spoken I'm... spoken word thing? No, I'm not talking about the spoken word You're thing. You're talking about that, the Yeah, the spoken word in, in Days of Future Past is pretentious, especially the words to it, you know? <laughs> but, uh, but no, well, you can't understand the words in this one. Again, burying stuff under all this production. What? Well, he does... They, I, it was like well, Jeff, rah, rah, rah. you can't understand it. Well, Jeff Lynn does bury his vocals, and he, he buries everyone's. Phone. I remember. All I know is I was talking about my feelings, and <laughs> all of a sudden, everybody's hate just came out. Sorry, Doug. <laughs> you got to remember, you got a guy in his twenties experimenting with something brand new. Yeah. Uh, well, this was the first album that he had a full orchestra on, and this yeah. is the first album where. He's the guy, and they're doing the ELO thing, and he's conceptualizing it. 
Yeah. And I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say everything somebody in their 20s does that they're in charge of is over the top. Except for Dylan. Well, mm, I yeah. could argue Dylan might have done. When he's being interviewed. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. He's, he is a pain in the rear end when he's inter- being yeah. interviewed. But, but um, the, uh, I got, I, I was talking about my feelings and I was rudely cut off. <laughs> um, there's no other ELO album that's on this level uh, with me. I think all the others are good, but yeah, I don't I'm, think I'm, any of the others are great. And none of them make an emotional connection like this one does. The uh, the other albums, I say, that's really good. That's really good. But there's not much. I hear Sweet Talking Woman. I think, this is good. This is clever. I hear... Yeah, but um, it, doesn't, it doesn't hit me like Boy Blue does. There's or... no emotional connection. And this, um, more than any record we've talked about, it's the story that this album tells that has a profound emotional effect on me. I think the theme is universal, and it's it reminds me of Van Morrison in that I think Jeff Lynn was receiving stuff and putting it down, and when he was through, he didn't know what he had done, and it probably took years for it to emerge yeah. what what he had produced. And uh, I, I'll tell you what, the, let's, let's make it really um, clear. What what you're saying is, if he would just pull everything out and simplify it, you would hear the beautiful pop tunes that are on this record. Mm-hmm. That happens on Boy Blue. Yeah, when he's addressing um, Maid Marian, everything comes off, and it's just his wonderful voice and yeah. those those beautiful beautiful tune. See, I find I, I mean I know we're skipping ahead because we haven't talked about the song in between, but I I find that melody to be mundane in that song. All right, I'm, well let's, let's yeah let's let's, we let's might uh, need to, to, get on to track to the next one. All right, so after the overture, we well, the have, thing about the overture that's important is it um, the dreamer, the unwoke fool, in dreams no pain will kiss the brow. This is setting up. The story and well, the story is, you got uh, this guy in the real world that doesn't belong in the real world, and he's he's dreaming his life away. Well, that makes sense as to what the album cover looks like. I've always wondered what the Wizard of Oz album cover is, but it actually makes sense now. But I'm glad you read that because listening to the the overture, I have no idea that's what he's saying because it's buried well, in a mountain so of strings. Yeah, Jam, you work with computers. Would you help Tony learn about the internet where he can look things up? <laughs> no, I know that, but why do I need to do that? What, shouldn't I be able to listen to the song and hear that? Anyway, um, so the next song is Can't Get It Out of My Head. This is this was their hit, yeah, and it's so ironic that it's called "I Can't Get It Out of My Head" because yeah, it's a near. If world. you hear it <laughs> on the way to work, 
you're going to be singing it for the rest of the day. This is one of the most addictive uh, hooks. Traded, I think Lewis Clark is the guy who probably needs some needs some props because he's he did, played keyboards for them and uh, did a lot of the, the string arrangements. Um, and he did a great job on this. There's few songs that set up an album better than this song sets up the album. They, uh, it's also one of the most controversial things in all of ELO song lore. And that is uh, the argument, walking on the waves, she came, versus walking on the waves, she came. And uh, the album right here before me says Chicane, which is um, one of two things. It is an S turn on a racetrack that right. is used to slow drivers down. Yep. Yep. I don't think that's what we're talking about here. The other is trickery. This sets up. This guy is in a dream state. He's seeing uh, Venus come out of the water. It's not, uh, everybody thinks it's about falling in love with the girl. This is about falling in love with romanticism. This is a romantic album, and I'm not talking about sitting in the tree romance. I'm talking about romanticism, romanticism of literature. Uh, this is what it's all about, and, and this sets it up perfectly. And uh, then we find out the guy's a bank teller. And I think if you're a rock and roller, when you are trying to think of the most boring job in the world, you think yeah. of a guy working in a bank. And uh, obviously, this guy's been reading the romance uh, literature of, yeah. of heroes, this, uh, um, of chivalry with Robin Hood, William Tell, Ivanhoe, and Lancelot. And uh, he yeah. wakes up in his world, and it's... Uh, there's not, I mean, I can't in good conscience say anything bad about the song, except I will say this. It, it to me proves my point. The strings add nothing to the song. If the strings weren't on it, I think the song would be better. I'm mm, going to disagree with you. On uh, that that's, one. that's fine. But I think, I don't think they add anything to the song whatsoever. There's something complicated that I'm always torn up about, and that's bridges that meander mm -hmm. and they bother me why they're meandering. Mm hmm. But it's almost like they're pulling the bow back. Yeah. So when the tune returns, it has extra power. Yeah. And that's what happens in this song. And I'm torn about whether the power it returns with is <laughs> worth the trip that the the funny string uh stuff I, I think this is one of the most perfect songs ever written. It's a great song. And and I just want to comment also on something you guys said about earworms again. My 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 problem with the LO is not the songs. It's, it's what Jeff, it's what Jeff Lynn does to them. I understand. And, and his songs are earworms. I I walked around all week singing these most of the songs on this album because they're catchy as hell. He may be. I think he's better than the Beatles at earworms. Um, but um, <laughs> well, you I'm fighting words. That's gonna be a drop at the end. <laughs> the. Uh, Something to consider, and and again, I'm not I'm not on the opposite side of Tony on this. I've I'm just, I guess I'm just broader. Um, <laughs> there is nobody on earth who I would rather make a unplugged album than Jeff Lynne. I think I'm behind you on that. If, if he were to, yeah, I agree. 
if he were to make an unplugged album, I think it would be fascinating. I don't think he's able to. Well, I don't know. I think know. he'd if be listen- jumping up and running around trying to play all the instruments. You're probably right about that, yeah. which is a problem. If you listen to that Adel Ray stuff, he's not, it's not quite what this is. And you can see that there. You know, I, I take just a brief side. You know what I oddly enough thought about um, when I was listening to this was Daniel Johnston. Hmm. And and the reason why is for the opposite reasons. When I listen to Daniel Johnston, some of his best songs, um, like Grievances. If I had my own way, you'd be with me here today. But I rarely have my own way. I guess that's why you're not here with me today. In the library instead, you can't buy no respect. I said, hey, lady, what can you expect when I'm lying on the floor? Lady, you can hear it's no you can hear the tune there you can hear what that song could represent yeah if it be. wasn't somebody yeah. with his sort of limited abilities doing it i mean he's a great piano player but he's he's got but it's a great song and this that's i was thinking the opposite here imagine these songs with all of this nonsense in my opinion stripped, stripped away from away. them yeah. and it's just what the song is how great they would be i'm sympathetic to that view although i um I'm captivated by some of the nonsense. There's, uh, we can't talk about the tunefulness of this album without mentioning his conversation with his father. Oh, yeah. Uh, which this, <laughs> always criticize your children. Uh, <laughs> and this is why. Uh, his father told him, the problem with ELO is none of the songs are tuneful. They're, they don't have a melody. Yeah. And yeah. that pushed Jeff Lynn's button he has, you can tell by the way he speaks of his father, he had respect for him and he had respect for his knowledge of music. Yeah. And so he's, he kind of came back and said, what about this pop? Do we ever get the other side of that though? What did his dad think about this? Oh, he loved it. Okay. He said, you did it, son. Okay. So, um, yeah, his dad and, was, and to the musician, you know, I've seen the interviews of Jeff Lynn, uh, in the in the twenty uh, first century, where he's still kind of proud of what his dad said yeah, after that's funny after he did that, I I, I love that. Well, story. thank God his dad got him to write this song. That's all yep. I got to say. Yeah, it's we a need great him song. To criticize him uh, once a year. Well, holy God, we've only got through one song. <laughs> um, all right, so the next song, Boy Blue. trouble. I've told JM this already. A lot of times when we're reviewing these albums, I have a great deal of difficulty. Sometimes I can't keep listening. I just want to switch to something else. I've had a belly full of what we're listening to, and it makes it hard to get through the album. On this album, I found it difficult because as soon as I heard a song, I wanted to hear it again and again, and I didn't want to leave it behind. And, uh, these first uh, these first two songs are perfect examples. I just couldn't stop listening. Boy uh, Blue is so addictive. I can't believe it wasn't a hit. It starts off with some sort of weird ass. It's like the Purcell. Uh, What's it's fan trumpet? Yeah, trumpet trumpet volunteer. Is that what it is? Trumpet. trumpet. Well, there he's he's uh, 
again, he's dabbling in music he probably doesn't know that much about. But um, <laughs> well, his dad was a classical musician, wasn't he? I think he, probably... he was a fan of classical music. Oh, okay, yeah. well, I'm sure he knew. But, grew up um, listening to it. He's playing fanfare for a returning hero, and uh, this is this is about someone returning from the Crusades. And this plays into the album that basically this album is a dreamer, a Walter Mitney uh, guy. Wait, go, wait, uh, no, you're right. Go, Walter Mitty. Mitty going from one uh, one daydream to another. And this one is about someone returning from uh, the Crusades. I always think of Ivanhoe when I hear this, and I'm not sure... Uh, I know that the hero of Ivanhoe was uh, reluctant to fight again. That must be why. But uh, this song is just addictive. Yeah, it's a great song. And yeah. um, this, Tony's not going to like this, but I love the little break where all the strings start plucking. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so wonderful. Notes. As I said earlier, I find this melody uninspiring. Again, if you're if the if the narration's important, why do you bury it under an avalanche of, of production? I don't get that. Um, well, if you listen to Jeff Lynn talk about writing lyrics, he's very he lacks a lot of confidence with his lyrics, and he doesn't like to talk about them, and he doesn't. Uh, yeah, but I'm surprised they're actually better than I. Thought they they're, were. They're good, and uh, the uh, the chord progressions. There's another thing about Jeff Lynn. If you listen to his interviews, he can't stop talking about chords. Yeah. When he stopped talking about songwriting, he goes, "Well, first I got to get my chords," or he says, "Me chords," because me yeah, chords from Birmingham. Yeah. Birmingham. Birmingham. He's from Birmingham. Me, pop, me chords. Me chords in Birmingham. He's. Um, I really did appreciate his accent, though. If if you're from Birmingham, please call us up and leave us a message so we can hear you talk. Yeah, That's, it's like uh, being from West Texas. Yeah, that, <laughs> no, uh, don't say that to them, Jam. We're trying to bra- build a bra- fan base. Brahmies? is that what they're um, called? Brahmies? <laughs> anyway, he everything's based on chord progressions, and his chord progressions are, are complicated. Amazing. Yeah, and they sound simple, which to me that's that's pretty amazing when you. I've, I've, I've copied the port, chord progressions here for uh, uh, Mr. Kingdom for obvious reasons. Uh, they're compared to yeah. uh, another famous song. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very... Yeah, we'll get to that. In they're a very, very complicated chord progressions, but they, they just sound like the most simple organic thing to ever come out of a person. Well, uh, yeah, and we can do that. That's, uh, you don't know why you like the song. It's because, well, the chord progressions are... Uh, Pretty bad I, I'm going to say this for the last time, and I won't just keep being a dead horse. But again, I would prefer this song to be a song, a rock and roll song. If you're going to have guitars in it, I'd prefer to hear the guitars. If you're going to have drums in it, I prefer to hear the drums. That's just me. It's it's buried. The song is buried to me, and it and it just rubs me the wrong way when I listen to it. Again, I'm not going to say, even though I find the melody mediocre, I'm not going to say it's an awful song. I'd probably like it a lot more if it was somebody else doing it without all that nonsense on it. But I'm not going to beat that dead horse anymore. I've already said it enough. One thing about the the orchestration on this one, I love it. It, I think it works. I, yeah. I think I do think it works. And this song, the pizzicato works quite well. Oh, it's so. I, I if I could, yeah. if I could rewind twenty seconds of a song, I would do it for that. It's just. <laughs> 
Uh, and think about this guy pulling this off. I don't know who gets credit for that. Him or the arranger, but yeah, Lewis Clark maybe. He, this is where he finds out what ELO can do on this song, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> well, in my opinion, that's an awful thing to find out. <laughs> I thought he said he was about to stop hitting dead horses. It must have been my imagination. All right, this is a slinky song. <laughs> Laredo Tornado. Texas, I'm pronouncing it not the way that... Uh, well, we put? can we can feel pretty confident about all this because this is our turf. There, well, and it, what did what did the people in the UK say? Tornado? Is it Lorado Tornado? I mean, it's got to be Laredo Tornado, right? It rhymes. Well, he says it that way. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't think we have to. If if it's in your state, you yeah. don't have to make. You don't have to say Rodeo if you live in Texas. Yeah. Um. Oh wow, a, a rock song. Sounds like a rock song from the beginning. Well, <laughs> it's kind I'm of a, surprising. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with Tony because this thing starts out with uh, with the guitar, and <laughs> for Tony he says, "Finally, for me, I go, wow, we really haven't heard a guitar since this whole thing started." So I became curious about tornadoes in Laredo. <laughs> I don't think they have them, do they? As, well, that's right. As a Texan, uh, you think... Uh, yeah, they might have a cyclone or a hurricane. They are a very low... So if I think if you're in Birmingham, you think... Um, <laughs> Laredo's in the middle of the that's state. That's Texas. There's tornadoes all the yeah. time because it's Texas. Yeah. Well, uh, Laredo did have a tornado in 1905 uh, that ripped uh. the roof off of uh, the hospital... And also attacked a uh, seminary for uh, teachers. <laughs> and yeah, uh, tornadoes are famous for attacking. Yes. <laughs> now, if you're in the Panhandle, you're probably laughing because when I lived in Pampa, Texas, oh, yeah. every afternoon at about four o'clock, I'd go see the apartment manager and say, "Where's the tornadoes today?" Yeah, I mean but, the 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 legend of Pecos Bill. Was he rode a tornado? And you don't get that. And pay, you know that's yeah, West in, Texas. In, stuff. in Laredo, you don't get tornadoes, but they did have one in 1905. So that's we'll funny. give Jeff Lynn a break there. That's really um, funny. But this is the uh, song that makes us experts on this album. <laughs> Other than the fact that JM grew up right outside of uh, El Dorado. Dorado, one of my favorite um, things to put on a list is music that doesn't fit the words and. If this song was about a uh, scantily clad woman walking down the streets of Laredo, making young men uh, make bad decisions, it would be perfect. But the best explanation for the meaning of this song is the disappearing West and the Indians losing their uh, way of life. And the tune in no way... Is appropriate there, for that. Were there lots of Native Americans in Laredo? There were. Okay. Anyway, what's the next song? The next song is Poor Boy. The Greenwood. Oh, no. 
Anyone know what the Greenwood is? Nope. Are you serious? Nope. That's where Robin Hood lived. I was going to say that. Uh, would it surprise you to know that I like this song? No. It's it's it, it would surprise me if anybody was able not to like this song. Yeah. I, I, this song reminds me of. Uh, it sounds equal parts Kinks and Bowie to me. I actually had Bowie in my notes. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean his vocalization is Bowie. The, the melody to me sounds very kinksy um, or very kinky, depending on how you. Well, want I to think say it. I think it sounds folky, which the Kinks more than any other British band I think uh, had a folk I, sound I, to them. I will say, um, obviously, we talked about this earlier when the when the the um, overwrought harmonies kick in. It, I don't particularly like the vocalization there, but I do like the song a lot. It's a good song. I'm not going to badmouth it. This is a song about, again, he's a, in a daydream fantasy about, um, this time it's Robin Hood and uh, all the wonderful romantic things of someone fighting for justice and fighting for the little guy. And, of course, Sweet Maid Marion, don't you do me no wrong. <laughs> uh, it's so tender and wonderful, and his voice is so perfect. And I'm going to go ahead and repeat what I've already said about that line when everything drops out and you get to hear his voice yeah, and very little just... else. It's absolutely amazing. And it does make me think what could have been yeah. without all the other stuff. So I am sympathetic with Tony on that. All right. We have just flipped the album over. We're on... Mr. Kingdom. Daylight comes to those who live, but those who die, they never see. Sun comes shining through their window pane, they pass away. So before you wax poetic about this song, can I just say that I'm not the biggest fan of the original version of this song by the Beatles. <laughs> but if I'm actually, gonna, it's in my notes. If I'm going to listen to it, if I'm going to listen to Across the Universe, I'd rather listen to the Beatles That's sing exactly it. the notes that I had in my... That I had. It, it, it's this, like, it really does sound like... I played well, it for my daughter. Talks about I played it, it for my yeah. daughter, and I said, "Does this sound like something?" She goes, "It sounds like across the universe." <laughs> Words are flowing out like endless rain into a paper cup. They slither wildly as they slip away across the universe. Pools of sorrow, waves of joy are drifting through my opened mind. Yeah, the only difference is it's a Wurlitzer piano phased. You know, yeah, it's like the well, only... there's um, there's a couple of things. <laughs> the, the pace is exactly the same. Yeah. Um, are the chords the same? You said you had the chord progression. The chords are very different, which surprised me. This is a chord progression for both of them. And I, I transferred the... Uh, Across the universe into C, just so it would be apples and apples. Yeah. And the chord progression's not very much alike at all. Huh. But um, 
you can't hear it without hearing across, across the universe. universe. Yeah. One of one of the things is Jeff Lynn. I think he learned to sing by imitating Lennon. And can, can I just say something odd about that? Because in my mind, before I did like a educated study of ELO for this, I always Jeff Lynn in my mind was always connected to McCartney. Because ELO to me, me is much more of that kind of McCartney Beatlesque pop than Lennon, but he does not sound like McCartney. He sounds like John Lennon. Yeah, you're right. Well, there. I he I think he is connected to McCartney. I think if you look at um, I got this Beatles songbook around here somewhere. Yeah, and if you flip the page and look at the chord progression, you can tell immediately. Whose uh, song it is? Yeah, but I mean McCartney diminished, yeah. Uh, yeah, seventh, all this kind of stuff, tr- all kinds of changes, and that that half of McCartney, uh, that part of Jeff Lynn is McCartney. But right. w- talking about Jeff Lynn, if, if I recall, we were on the ALO <laughs> record. He's he admires Paul's Both. songwriting, and I think he admires, or he said. I can't sing like Paul. I'm going to sing like uh, Well, since we're talking about... Oh, God. I'm breaking my promise here. Never mind. Were you about to start hitting a horse? I was just going to say that since we're talking about... Uh, uh, kind of loosely talking about um, Let It Be, I'd, I'd be willing to bet you that Jeff Lynn is one of the few people that actually thinks the version that Phil Spector did is better than the version with the stuff stripped <laughs> off. <laughs> well... I don't know if that's true or not, but it, it's uh, illustrative and worth saying. Yeah. Because he maybe thought that Spectre uh, held in. Well, I mean, he actually, he's on record saying he, he was enamored with Phil Spectre's. Well, who who was but They it? all were. They're who all on record they all with that. Were, yeah. And uh, only guys, this is going to sound weird to our audience, but. We're too young to be enamored with yeah. Bill Spector because <laughs> Let It Be, we go, what the what the hell happened here? Well, when right? you listen, when you listen to Let It Be Naked and realize how great that stuff is without all that nonsense, yeah. and, and part of that's probably the fact that he came in afterwards. He wasn't part of the original, and part he of started it. shooting people or drowning them in a swimming pool. Yeah. I can't remember what happened. <laughs> um, all right, let's. But anyway, on. Mr. Kingdom is about uh, this guy going directly to the king. I guess yeah. the king of El Dorado, and uh, this is where the album. It reminds me of the Willie Nelson uh, "Redheaded Stranger," where I think the, 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 it starts coming apart, yeah. and uh, it doesn't come back together until the last song. Yeah, but he's asking Mister Kingdom uh, for a way to make his dreams real. All right, let's move on to the next song. Nobody's child. This is a boring song. It is a boring song. <laughs> uh, it's got this kind of barrel house piano thing going on. Um, it this, almost sounds to me like it could be a Tom Waits. I, I will say though, I mean, it would be if Tom Waits did this, it would work. Yeah, yeah. But you can't orchestrate a song about a hooker seducing you. No, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Well, this just goes to my thing about uh, the, the this kind of soullessness of all this stuff, you know. 
Yeah, I, I he mean, tries I, to and be that's soulful not, here. It's, it, it's not. He does. He does. His vocals, even. He tries to. You know, his vocals are different on this song than they are on any other song on the album, and it just doesn't doesn't work. This song makes me want to go back in time and grab him and say, "Look, <laughs> you have such an amazing record right now. Stop. <laughs> let's take this one and let's." Put this on the we'll do it later list <laughs> and let's come up with something better. And, 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 uh, I mean, the anybody who is a dreamer who has high ideals knows what this song's about. This every man yeah. is, um, striving for his high ideals and nothing like a painted lady. <laughs> Whatever that means to you, I mean, <laughs> it derails a guy, and and it not only does she take him away from his purpose, but she makes him his special the, purpose. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, she yeah. makes him the uh, victim and the perpetrator of of what happens, and so it fits into the story. I understand it perfectly, but. Um, I don't. I I don't enjoy it. It's no. not. It's not good. I apologize for throwing a Steve Martin joke in the middle of your. You never need to apologize for Steve Martin. <laughs> I'm I'm of the Steve Martin generation. Yeah. He hates cans. <laughs> <laughs> I I just wish we could have stopped him. I wish we would have been there. Uh, well, like, you could you could have you could have stopped tape on the next song too. <laughs> All right. Th- yeah, the next song, uh, Illusions in G Major. you title a song this well why would you record a song this i'll tell you the guy's in love with the music that he heard when he was a kid i've got as you did you have some lyrics i've got the lyrics of part of the song up and they're horrible (laughs) well Well, jeff lynn's not the best lyricist in the world plus he mentions the stones which i you know that's already a knock against him right there but And and I can't tell you, I guess he's fantasizing again, but I'm, it's really hard to put your finger down on what the, the character it, is fantasizing about. It is the most generic rock and roll song I think I've ever heard. And for those who haven't heard it, it's I guess they have heard it because James stuck a sample in there. It's just like another... 50s Chuck Berry sounding. Um, yeah, it's, it's, like, it's got like a, even the horn section is just not... It's uninspired. Uninspired horn section. Hey, it's, we're just doing it's, this. Um, it's Jeff Lynn doing what does he doesn't need to be doing. There, but, are, there are other people that do this. Much better. And he needs to be doing his own deal. We I, probably should just stop talking about it. I wonder it. if the success of Roller Beethoven is still in his head at this point. I don't understand why that album, that, that song was ever released. Or successful. Topic, or successful, but it was successful. And I wonder it if was. that was just in his head. But hey, maybe I can. Maybe if I have that, I don't know if this was released as a single. Lord, he's or not, probably thinking, "This is my deal. I'm really yeah, good at this. Deal. Everybody oh, yeah, loves Lord. this." 
Um, yeah. But it's not necessary, and it's it's a waste of his talents because he ought to be working on. Uh, yeah, yeah, this isn't. We need him to write tunes that stick in your head forever, not yeah. a tune that already exists. All right. So the last song uh, that's got vocals on it is El Dorado. Great song. Yeah, uh, it's a wonderful song. It's it, a wonderful it, song. And it, it's no Tony doesn't agree, but I mean for people with hearts, they love this stuff. <laughs> uh listen. Uh I just find it dreary. Okay. I, I I'll say that I this is one of the few songs in the album that I think his orchestration works really well on it. I think yeah. it fits the song perfectly. Um, look, it's not bad. We've talked about this stuff before. The differentiation between something you think is god awful. I just find it dreary. If I hear it on the radio, would I run away? No, I wouldn't. Maybe not even turn it off, but I wouldn't purposely put this song on. Well, the subject matter is extremely depressing. Yeah. So maybe that's why it's dreary. It, it can be dreary for that. Um, there's four songs on this album that it takes pure discipline to move on to the next song and not to hit repeat. Can't get it out of my head. Boy Blue. Uh, poor Boy, The Greenwood, and El Dorado. And they're all magical. Yeah, they are. They're absolutely, yeah. And this is the finale, and I think it's tragic. There is a lot of argument about what this song is about, but say goodbye to the city heroes through the uh, through the life upon the rooftop haze. Um, the guy doesn't want to go back to the Medane banker job, the real world, and he has convinced himself he knows about a way to go to El Dorado. And he's on the rooftop. Ah. And two years before this album came out, a, a musician that was uh, playing in, with uh, El Dorado jumped off a rooftop and committed suicide. Yeah. And there's quite a bit of discussion about whether that is uh, what's going on here or not. I, I hadn't thought about that, Doug. I don't think, I don't think you can read these lyrics and come up with any other yeah, conclusion. I, think you're right. I, I read a lot of people on the internet desperately trying to think this is about. Yeah. He's decided that dreams can live, and but I don't think you can go there. No, I, no, I, th- I almost think this whole album was. Somewhat inspired by that, and that's why I think this theme is so universal, especially with um, people in that age where they're coming. They're coming of age, and they don't want the life they see their parents have—the bourgeois, um, 
life without adventure, without romance, without all of the things that we read about in uh, Ivanhoe or uh, Robin Hood. I don't think that you're wrong that it's dreary. I, I mean, I've always thought of suicide as dreary. <laughs> anyway, my point is there's that thing where you start discovering adulthood and right. Yeah. You're you're mad at the world for not fulfilling these dreams and you can't fulfill them because nobody can. And you have this longing the longing for this country that you've never been to, but that you think is your home. And I think that's what El Dorado is the country that he longs for, that yeah. he believes is his home and he can't go there. Uh, that's interesting. I, I, I don't know why I immediately thought about this and I'm not really trying, I'm not trying to make this less than what you're talking about, <laughs> but it makes me think about uh, people who live in the city thinking about this country that they can't have, which is what Austin used to be. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this longing for that. And that's something this city struggles with a lot. Or. Yeah. Some people dream about a place over the rainbow. Right. Right. <laughs> that they yeah. can't get to. Well, I, I, I seem to remember you at least one point saying you didn't get quite get why that was picked for the album cover, but it makes perfect sense to me. No, no, I didn't. Early in life, but oh, okay. I mean, now it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Can you give me something? I mean, there's a lot of other choices. Do I have to have that one? <laughs> anyway, all right. So this, we got one last. We need to song spend that we time need on to this. Spend time on <laughs> the finale. I have I, like I have one word in my notes about this song. Ugh. <laughs> How do you really? spell that? U G H exclamation point exclamation point. <laughs> I think that this is something that Jeff Land just started doing with all his albums. Outrochers, intros and outros. I mean, it makes sense in the context of this album to wrap it up in a nice, neat yeah. bow. And yeah, and then he wraps it up with spoken word. Uh, yeah, as as uh, that you can actually did, sort did. of understand. Yeah. at this point, it's about time. <laughs> the dreamers, <laughs> the dreamers on the hill. Yeah, and uh, a lot of people take some comfort in that. Oh, he's just on the hill. He didn't kill himself. I don't know, but. I, I love the theme of this album, and I will be the first to admit that it wasn't executed perfectly. And I also admit, well, I'm not sure that Jeff Lynn knew that he had this theme on his hands when he was doing it. Well, yeah. But I think it's fair to say, and it's something else we've said a couple of times, most of these rock concept albums are really, it's, it's, um, they're not very well thought out, and they're held together by the thinnest of threads. Uh, I don't know that I can think of an exception. I, I, I guess, uh, I guess, the Who worked the hardest to try to keep everything together. I would say the closest thing to a narrative that makes some bit of sense, although the story is really outrageous, is the first sight of Twenty One Twelve. 
<laughs> I can't. I can't uh, comment on I that. Can't comment but it's on a that. silly story. Uh, yeah, I can't. I can't really think of a other than redheaded stranger. I can't think of. But that's well, all, that it, falls it, apart. That sucker again. comes apart, and then he starts throwing every song he ever wanted to record on. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and now he's happy uh, and he's got your this light girl. <laughs> and a kid, right? All, All right. right, so that wraps up tonight's episode. Tony, yes, you, Jam. Do you have something for us tonight that I, you could introduce do. the kids to? I do. I got a question for you guys. Do you like hooks? <laughs> I do. I Good. like True Turn. Then I've got an album for you. Uh, there's a guy who's been around for a while. His name's Chris Church. Um, he put out an album last year called Backwards Compatible. And uh, it is a power pop album. Surprise, surprise. Um, but it is uh, it is um, reminiscent of Marshall Crenshaw, but a crunchier version of that, if uh, that appeals to you. That does um, to me. It's guitar heavy. Um, the guitars are up front. The vocals are nice. The harmonies are really, really, you know, well done. Lots of great harmonies. Um, I, I'd say, you know, in terms of some key tracks is a song called What Are You? somebody's coming faster both great but the whole album's really good but it's just nice you know and it's not jangly it's crunchy guitar pop you know it puts the power in power pop but i would i would recommend this album again it's uh it's backwards compatible by chris church all right we hope you enjoyed our examination of elo's fourth album el dorado next week we'll be looking at an album by a legend not just in the country world but in the world of rock and roll as well Johnny Cash's American Recordings. Got the number 13 tattooed on my neck When the ink starts to itch then the black will turn to red If you've got any opinions on this episode or previous episodes, please leave us a review or a rating on your favorite podcasting platforms. And look us up on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Tapping Vinyl. And we're on Gmail at tappingvinyl at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you and welcome suggestions for albums to consider in an upcoming podcast. And if you know of a music lover that enjoys the long playing format, please let them know about this podcast. We'd love to get the word out. For our host, Doug Cooper, our co-host, Tony Slagle, and me, Jonathan J.M. Rowe, your humble producer. Good night, and we hope you can't get us out of your head. <laughs>